We will uh, pray together once again and prepare our hearts to give. Uh, if you're part of our church family, this is a privilege we get to participate in. If you're not necessarily part of our church family, you just get to hang back. So let's pray. Father, we've just sung and declared that you are holy and your son is holy. And that's why it's all the more astounding that he would be the Lamb of God, meaning he would be the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. He laid down his life to purchase us. He is the most costly, valuable being in the universe to you and to the world. And we don't get that kind of love. We just receive the massive love, grace, and mercy you've had upon us. And when you redeem us, Father, you redeem us into a family that is full of love and, and truth. You also give us a mission to accomplish, to make disciples, learners, followers after your son Jesus, both locally and globally. And part of the tools you use to do that is the giving of our finances. So we can't give to you what's not already yours. All we can do is acknowledge that every gift we have, not just our money, but all that we are, all that we have comes from you. And so thank you, Father. It's in the spirit of that grace giving that you've given to us way beyond anything that we could ever measure or imagine or understand totally that your son Jesus rescued us from your just judgment against our sin and gave us the gift of his life and righteousness. So we're really rich and we have some things that we can give to in terms of money. So would you take these gifts, Father, and use them for your glory, use them for your purpose in building your church extending the gospel out into the community and among the nations. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. As we're wrapping up the offering, I'll ask a question. How do you know that you know someone? How do you know that you know someone? Well, you say. Uh, sometimes we might feel like we know someone, especially a celebrity, because we listen to them, read their blogs, their books, watch them. They even start acting like them and dressing like them. In fact, uh, we went to the Captain America movie earlier this week and saw people come dressed like Captain America. So not only do we follow real-life celebrities, but we follow made-up people that we think that we have a relationship with. But the reality is, without a true relationship, we're not really knowing that person, are we? Some ways you can describe, uh, some ways you, you know that you know someone, you can describe their personality. You know their habits. You know what gives them joy and sorrow. Uh, you know what they value you, when you have life experiences in common with them. You really know you know someone when you embrace their influence on you in your life. Your life is shaped by their life. And they have meaningful communication with them and trust and shared life purpose. So today we're going to talk about how we know that we know Christ, just following along in our study of 1 John, John's first letter. And we're going to jump into uh, verse 3, but I'm going to read for you verses 1 and 2, because you're going to need that. I'm not going to explain it much, because we covered that last week, but I'll read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll stop on verse 3 and get more focused on that, on that passage. So verse 1, 
John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So this is really good news because we know that God doesn't, is not pleased with us to sin, but we know we do. And when we sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's, he's our advocate. And then verse 2 reads like this. He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means the sacrifice that satisfies God's just judgment against our sin and also turns away, uh, cleans us up from our sins. So it both turns away God's judgment from our, from, against us for our sins and cleans us up from our sins. So that's what the word propitiation means. So he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And when John says that, he doesn't mean that the whole world automatically, or people automatically, receive the benefits of Christ's sacrifice for us or his advocacy for us. That we have those, we have Christ's advocacy for us, his saving work on our behalf, his saving work from our sins and giving us life and righteousness in him through a relationship that we have with him. And so that's what we're going to look at today. How do we know that we have that? Earlier in John, in John, uh, in the first chapter, John talked about having fellowship. He says, we proclaim this message so that you may have fellowship with God. And so he continues on talking about the relationship, in relationship terms, and now he's using the word know. So know, K-N-O-W, know. So verse 3 says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So John develops the theme of having a relationship or fellowship with God, with Christ, or more to his point, he writes about how we know that we have come to know God or Christ. You know, either God or Christ works for the word him because you don't know the Father without the, knowing the Son and you don't have the Son without the Father. So both of those make sense in this passage. Christ is indispensable to knowing God. In fact, this is a big word for John. He uses it some 25 more times in this letter. And as we've already implied, the word know in the Bible, particularly in John's letter, is not just knowing about someone or something in an intellectual way. It means to have a close experiential knowledge at the heart level. So as Jesus said to his disciples, if you know me, you would know my Father. Jesus said to know me is to know God the Father because Jesus was and is his Son and he came in the flesh and showed us the Father. And Jesus, when he prayed to the Father in John 17, said this to his Father, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life. What is eternal life? Not just living a long, 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 long time, but he said that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus says eternal life is knowing God. It is having fellowship with God. So what does it mean to know God, and how do we know we know him? The false teaching that was starting to split this church later became known as Gnosticism. That, the root word of that word in the Greek means knowledge. That was impacting the church was big on having a secret knowledge that only the enlightened the initiated could have access to. Uh, John said in his introduction that the truth of who Christ is and what he did was and still is openly proclaimed. And so here's the message, just straightforward. There's not, 
You don't get some secret hidden knowledge by your inner enlightenment or some special weird kind of weird knowledge. It is a, uh, an openly proclaimed truth, and it's summed up this way. The message of fellowship with God is this. Jesus, the Son of God, took on a human nature, even though he is the Son of God, in addition to his divine nature, died for sins and was raised again to save all who believe in him. That's the message. It's just that simple. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on human nature in addition to his nature as being the Son of God and died for our sins so that we could have the gift of righteousness and life from him to save all who believe in him. So, And this happened in real human history. It wasn't a myth. It wasn't something that people made up. It wasn't something people discovered by getting in touch with their inner spiritual resources. It's something that God really did in his son Jesus in human history. So, in other words, any claim to know God must be based upon that objective truth as to who Christ is and what he did. Well, you might say, is that all John is saying knowing God is? Is just believing that fact about Christ coming in the flesh and dying for sins and being raised again? Is that that all it is to know God, is just to know that and believe that? Well, it's not apart from that, but that's not all there is to it. It's like getting this truth enters our lives like a truth injection that starts infiltrating our lives and changes us. It's kind of like I could say uh, I've got a disease and here's the, here's the solution in this vaccine. And I could say, yep, I believe that vaccine can heal me. But until the nurse sticks the needle in my arm, I haven't really put my trust in that vaccine until it invades my body and starts making changes in my body. And so that's like the, the gospel truth. Until you get it injected in your spiritual vein, so to speak, it's not really yours. It's not really moving in your life. So it's more than just knowing that truth and, and giving a head, a head knowledge to it. In fact, throughout this whole letter, John keeps walk, uh, working his way through three ways, we might call them tests, of true life, of having eternal life. Which Jesus said means knowing God the Father and His Son, Jesus. And the tests are these. First, it's the truth test. It means faith in the truth about who Christ is and what He did. The second one is the moral test, or obedience to God. And the third test is the social test, or do you love his people? So it's truth, moral, and love. So here John says, this is how we know we have come to know him, if we have spiritual experiences when we're communing with nature. Hey, somebody was awake. Man. Or this is how we know we have come to know him, if we have good feelings about God while we're in church. It's okay to have good spiritual experiences when you're in nature. That's a great place to have spiritual experiences. And when you're in church, all the better. But that's not what John says here, is it? How does John say that we know that we've come to know Jesus? If we keep his commandments. What commandments do you have in mind, John? Well, one we know that he'll get to in the next section, starting in verses 7 through 11 of this same chapter, is loving. Do you love other Christians and not hate them? That's a good sign. You don't hate Christians. You love them. But some people think that that's all Jesus, the only commandment he had was to love. And that's because the love command sums up all the specifics. And it's easy for us to feel good about loving others until we get specific. Then it gets kind of tricky, doesn't it? What does it look like to love others? So Jesus didn't leave us to wonder. So I'm just going to give you a, a quick overview, just kind of some phrases that show what Jesus actually commanded in the Scripture. And one of those was, how, let's see, how are we doing on this one? 
This is the big one. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That one's pretty easy, huh? Or not? But he gets more specific than that. He said to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, come to me. So don't just acknowledge who I am, but come to me. Believe in me. That was a command. Jesus said, you must believe in me. Abide in me. That is, remain in me. Continue living in me. Take up your cross and follow me. That means be willing to suffer and be rejected for my sake. That's a pretty tough one, huh? Being willing to suffer. Take up your instrument of death and follow me. Die to yourself. Fear God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Worship God in spirit and truth. Pray always and don't lose heart. How about that one? Man, easy to lose heart in praying over the long haul. Strive to enter through the narrow door. That's faith, obedience to Christ is hard. Don't swear falsely. Always tell the truth. Uh, Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Be perfect as your Father. I mean, I'm just running over some things. If you stop on any one of these things, you say, man, I can't do that. I mean, I can kind of do it a little bit, maybe for a short time, in short bursts. But Jesus doesn't let up. He says, don't be anxious about your life. Anybody anxious about anything today? Nope. Oh, got a few. Got a few yes. Uh, don't fear what people can do to you. Anybody have any tr- trouble with fearing what people can do to you? Yep. Love your enemies. That's a great one, huh? Pray for your enemies. Forgive constantly. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Should I go on? Yes? Okay. Um, by giving sacrificially and generously, don't separate what God has joined together. In other words, don't divorce. Render to Caesar what is his. April 15th is coming up. Pay your taxes. Don't do your righteous deeds just to be seen by people. On the other hand, let your light shine, your good works shine before others. So don't do them just to be seen by people, but do, but, but do them. And make disciples of all people. Well, so how do we know we know God or we know Christ? By keeping Christ's commandments. Perfectly? Well, we've got to say he's worthy of keeping them perfectly. Because if, if we know, if we know Christ... Um, we know God is good, powerful, wise, holy. We know that he deserves to be obeyed perfectly. He's excellent, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's faithful. How can we not keep his commandments? And if we know God, we know his commandments deserve to be kept perfectly because they're good, they bring glory to him, and they're good for us. David wrote in Psalm 19 that God's commandments revive the soul. In keeping them, there is great reward. Uh, God says that his commandment is not too hard for us to keep. Wow. I thought they were kind of hard to keep. He says they're not too hard for us to keep. So we know that we do fail to keep God's commandments perfectly. Everybody with me on that? We just do not do them perfectly, even though they deserve to be kept perfectly. That's why we have no hope of forgiveness and being right with God apart from Christ as our advocate, our righteous advocate, with the Father and the propitiation for our sins, the satisfactory sacrifice for our sins. Thank God, thank Him that He paid so great a price when we didn't deserve it. We got, we didn't get what we did deserve. Christ didn't, got what He didn't deserve. He took my sin. He didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve to be forgiven. And He 
paid the price to rescue us, to rescue me. But we only receive forgiveness and right standing before God if we know Him. And if we know Him, we keep His commandments. So though we don't keep them perfectly, we must keep them in some sense, or else John's just talking. His words don't mean anything. Because he's saying, if we know Him, we will keep His commandments. In fact, if we had any doubt, verse 4, he makes it really clear. He gets pretty harsh, actually. In verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. Truth is not in him. So connected and certain, knowing Christ is to obeying him, that John says, anyone who says he knows Christ, hey, I know Christ, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's saying you're a liar. That's pretty harsh. And he says, and the truth is not in him. The truth doesn't just mean speaking what is generally true, but the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ. In other words, when the truth of the gospel enters us, it implants the knowledge of Christ and begins working in our hearts to conform us to him, like the example of the the, uh, injection. We get a truth injection when we trust Christ, when we believe the gospel, and it begins working the knowledge of Jesus in us. So it's not something that we could ever work up in ourselves. It's something that he implants in us by the gospel. But once that gospel implantation takes place, it is absolutely certain that we will have a a knowledge of Jesus that will be worked out in obeying him. In verse 5, he talks about another aspect of knowing God. He builds on what he's already said using some alternative terms. Now, instead of keeping his commandments, he speaks of keeping his word. And he extends the idea of knowing God into the reality of the love of God. And though it wouldn't be wrong to take the phrase the love of God to mean God's love for us, the sense of our love for God, I believe, makes best sense here. The love of God means our love for God. That we know God, that we have an experiential, attractional heart relationship with Him is connected naturally with the idea that we love God because knowing is more than just knowing about God, but knowing Him and valuing Him and valuing who He is and His heart and what He values. And so that means we love Him. So that's why, Paul, or that's why John goes here. And we can see why John says that, it's been, that it is in whoever keeps His word that love for God has truly been perfected. What does it mean to say the love for God has truly been perfected? He means that it's brought to genuine expression in us. It's integrated into our heart, into our lives. It's brought out into the reality. It's taking what God has put in us and it works itself out into the reality, integrated into our lives. So the truth of the gospel creates and plants in us a love for God. It's his revelation of himself, his communication to us. Remember we said relationship involves communication. And so we love God by valuing his word. And his word sustains the love of God, creates the love of God in us. So his word is a living, life-giving, transforming word. It is in communicating with others that love for them begins and grows. We share ourselves, we share our hearts. So... For example, my love for my wife began with us talking. It's kind of love at first sight, but we began talking. We met in Chicago. We started hanging out in downtown Chicago. 
And that, that was a good time to get close to one another because we, we were in a park and a guy came at us with a, uh, a switchblade kind of thing. I didn't see it. My wife saw it. I was trying to share the gospel with him and he was kind of like, oh, okay. So that brings you close together. We continued talking. And then we uh, sat in her grandparents' driveway and we talked more. And then we began writing letters. Remember letters? Paper, pen, envelopes, stamps. No email, no no uh, anything electronic, no e-communication at all, and expensive long-distance phone calls. So we invested in one another. And at my last calculation, 200 million words later, my wife, my love for my wife is still being perfected. And so that's how it works. We communicate with one another. We grow in love for one another by communicating. And we get that through God's Word. We don't get it through, um, well, we, we get it because our love for him is created by the power and grace and truth of his word. We don't love God out of our own conceptions of, of him or by looking into ourselves and finding sparks of love for God. I don't look deep into my heart, find love for God. It's really not there in, in myself. It's only there by the gospel, by the power of the gospel. But I look to his word to, to define what love looks like. And I look to his word to give me the raw materials to fan the flame of love for God. It's not me looking at the impressions of what I think God might be saying. He has given us his word, the apostles, the prophets, that God inspired for us to have exactly what he wants us to have in terms of his word. We all want that direct communication with God, and we're going to get it one day face-to-face with Christ once we have gone to be with him, once he comes... Uh, in his kingdom, we will have that. We will have that face-to-face communication with him. But now, we have it through his word. And it's a living, powerful word. So we, John says, by keeping his word, we show our love for Christ. By treasuring his word, by valuing his word, by holding fast to it, our love for Christ is truly being perfected. And then in verse 6, John uses another word, talks about the relationship word. Kind of tailing on the end of verse 5. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So in verse 6, John describes a genuine relationship with God with this term abide. In verses 3 and 4, he said, we know Christ if we keep his commandments. In verse 5, John said, Love for God is perfected in us if we are keeping his word. Now, he says, here is how we know that we are in him. This is how we know that we are in Christ. It's not just I know about Christ. It's not just I'm in him. My life is in him. If anyone says he abides in him, abides means to continue in something, to remain in, to exist in something, to live in something, to dwell in. So if anyone says I have a relationship with Christ. If anyone says he lives in Christ, then, John says, we ought to also walk in the same way that he walked. That doesn't mean like, okay, how did Jesus walk? Did he kind of walk like I do with a stagger? Or did he have like, what kind of, no, it's not talking about that kind of walk. He's talking about how we live. He says, if you are connected to Jesus, you ought to conduct your life in the same way as Jesus did. So how did Jesus walk through life? How did he live? I'm going to highlight just a few things because we could be here for hours talking about all that Jesus did. 
But here are a few ways that Jesus and the apostles say we ought to live as he did. And these are all things that he said or the apostles said that we ought to imitate. So first of all, Jesus always did the will of the Father. He said in one place, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In another place, he said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So I'm always seeking the Father's will. I always want to do the Father's will. I always do the Father's will. 100% of the time, Jesus did the Father's will. He never just went off on his own and pursued his own will. And does Jesus expect us to always do the will of God? Well, actually, he did and does because he says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there's no one going to enter heaven who is not a doer of of the Father's will. That's what Jesus says. So we look to him as the model. Is it always our ambition to do the will of God in every area of our lives? Is doing the Father's will what we hunger for, like Jesus? I only have an appetite to do the will of God. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. A second thing that Jesus did, Jesus often prayed. All right, well, I pray. Well, Jesus prayed when he was baptized. He prayed before selecting his disciples, whom he would send out as apostles. He prayed much in the hearing of his disciples so that they asked him to teach them to pray. So he prayed before them enough, and they recognized, we need to learn how to do this. So that's where what we call the Lord's Prayer came from, Jesus teaching them to pray after the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, of the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus um, taught them to pray, so that's an example for us as well. He said that we should pray always and not lose heart. Jesus slipped away often, even after the end of a super busy day, after doing tons of miracles and people being all over him and casting out demons, he would pray. Jesus prayed, and you say, why did he need to pray? He was God. He was also man. So he set the example for us that prayer is indispensable part of how how to live like he did. Another thing that Jesus did, well, and I, I, do, I knew before I get there, I need to ask this question. Are you and I praying like Jesus as if our lives depended on God? And are we praying to God that your will be done? Do we really want what God wants in the way that we pray? Another thing that Jesus did was he humbled himself and served others. So in a situation where they were all gathered and nobody washed each other's feet like they would have done in that culture, Jesus left dinner. He put a towel around his waist. He began washing their feet. And he said, If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. And I think what Jesus meant is that we are to humbly serve one another not specifically to wash people's feet, though you can do it that way. Jesus also was willing to suffer for doing good rather than sin. 
Peter said, To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus suffered for doing right. He never sinned. In that, he simply always did what was right and he was willing to suffer for it. And finally, another thing that Jesus did, he loved his people and gave his life for them. He said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as as I've loved you. So we can't die to save people from their sins. Jesus already did that, and we couldn't do it if we wanted. And we won't all physically die for others, even in acts of love, but we all can invest our lives and resources in loving Jesus' friends, Jesus' people. So these are high and demanding ways for us to walk, to live. If we struggle with doing any one of these things, which we do, we recognize that what Jesus has asked us to do, to be like him, is extremely hard. But these should not lead us to despair. It should lead us to... Uh, we, we need these specifics because otherwise we might just say, Jesus was a nice guy, I'm a nice guy too, guess I'm doing okay and being like Jesus. And we see that that's not the case. If we really live like him, we need to get specific. So let's be convicted about the ways we fall short in keeping Christ's commandments because we all are, I am, you are. And let's let it drive us home to Jesus. Let it drive us to, drive us to him as our advocate and propitiation for our sins. We're going to... Uh, recognize that around the Lord's table here in just a minute together. And let the conviction cause us to remember that John said he wrote these things to make our joy complete. He gave us these truths to, to produce joy. So ultimately, this will produce joy in our lives, to be pursuing Jesus, to know him, to abide in him, to love him. So let's trust Jesus that he gave us these words through John, that we may know that we know him, or to show us if we don't. Let these words drive us to Jesus so we'll know that we know him by obeying his commandments, so love for him will be perfected in us as we keep his word, and we will grow in living as he lived as we abide in him. So as I said, we're going to celebrate and remember Jesus around the Lord's table together because he said... Taking these emblems, this bread and cup, together is a, is a way that we share in the body of Christ. Not literally his body, but in the, the redeeming work that he did in his body. It's sharing in the blood of Christ, so we share it together. Our confession of faith in Christ's life, it's the perfect life that he lived as the Son of God, the Son of Man. And in his death for us on the cross, in a human body, where he died in our place and in his shed blood by which he purchased our salvation. So that's what we're saying when we take these elements together. And that's why if you are here today and you don't believe that, you don't know know that you know Christ, this would be a great day for you to, to make that decision, to come to Jesus and embrace him by faith, receive the work that he did for you in his death and his resurrection. But if you don't believe that yet or don't understand that yet, then this would not be a day to take these elements because this is... These elements are saying, I believe that by Christ's death and his resurrection, he has saved me. And I, I, I have that relationship with him. I know that I know Jesus. The way that we're going to do it is, as we've done the past several months, is we have tables around the room, two up here, one back in either corner. And you're, you're to come up. Um, we're going to give you some time just to consider 
ways that you, you need Jesus and to meditate upon what he's done for you and to confess your sins quietly to him. And then you'll come up and you'll receive the elements. We're going to be here to pray with you and to serve you the elements. We're not going to pray a long prayer. We're just going to pray, pray uh, brief prayers for you and with you uh, because we want to have that relationship element in the way we take the communion. So that's going to be true for most of you. There, there will be a, a, a gentleman serving those who are not able to, to, to make their way across the room. So let's prepare our hearts to receive the elements together, and I'll pray toward that end. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you sent us your son Jesus. We confess, we don't understand it, but that he is, was, and is the son of God and also a man. And in that, he lived the perfect life. He died the death we should have died. And he was raised in power and victory over sin and death. We believe that. And we believe, Father, that that, by believing those truths, that you bring that truth into our lives and you save us, you rescue us, you give us forgiveness, you give us a right standing before you, and you give us new hearts, a new life. And we confess that we don't have any other hope except Jesus Christ, but in him we have a powerful, great hope. So, Father, as we receive these elements together, would you cause the reality of who Christ is and what he has done for us to be more alive in our hearts as we follow what he commanded us to do this in remembrance of him. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.